What's happening, runners? Welcome back to another episode of the Trackster Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. My name is Lloyd. I'll be your host for today's episode. And today, fresh off the back of a 223 marathon personal best in Chicago, we are sitting down and talking with Puma professional marathoner, Rose Harvey. On today's show, we sit down with Rose and we run through everything from her journey into athletics, the switch from working in corporate law, working until 2 a.m., to running 100 mile weeks, becoming a professional athlete, signing for Puma, and a horror story of nutrition preparation at her debut marathon. Now, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast, please do head over to Instagram and drop us a follow, and also check out the website, trackster.com. That's where we put all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel. And finally, to support this show, please leave us a review for the show, which is now available on all platforms. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Rose Harvey. All right, welcome to the show, Rose. How are we today? Thanks very much for having me. I am very good, thank you. It's good to chat. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time and joining us on the show today. Obviously, for fans like myself, you're coming off, well, I know that you're coming off such a massive result in Chicago. Um, but uh, for anyone that isn't aware of who you are, do you want to introduce yourself? I am, well, I'm Rose Harvey. I'm a marathon runner, um, sponsored by Puma. And yeah, as you just mentioned, I've just come off Chicago Marathon, um, which was, it was an awesome race. It was so much fun and a good day for me. Got a big PV um, of four minutes and ran 2.23. So that is where I'm at. Not a bad, not a bad way to, uh, <laughs> to sort of start the show. We are going to get into that race in Chicago, which was, which was momentous for you. And your career but I want to start way before that I want to go right back to the start of when you got into sport whether that was athletics or not your career has been a little bit unique um, and we're going to touch up on that but take me back to when you first experienced sport and what that looked like for you and how you got into it. So I did I loved sport at school but I was not good. <laughs> I was pretty terrible, to be honest. I think my greatest achievement was like the B team in netball. So we're at that kind of level. But I did, I was like very, I was very active as a kid. I loved being outside, playing like team sports. I would get in, I would try anything, but just didn't really ever make it in anything. So I guess that's, that was my very early years. And then, I did get into a bit of running at school, mainly um, cross country, actually, just because I, I just loved being outside and I loved like just going out to the hills and just running. So that was kind of through my teen years. And I, I think at that stage, I kind of found I discovered the mental benefits to running as well. And I used to do it as you know, revising for GCSEs and everything. I'd get out for a run to de-stress and I just loved it. But again, I, you know, I was not, I wasn't competing. I wasn't really doing nothing particularly special at school. Um, and then at uni, I, I did very little sport, to be honest. I joined the rowing team, but mainly for the social life. Um, finished uni, horribly unfit, went traveling, got even more unfit. And then it was actually when I came back to London for law school and I kind of hit this place where I was like, oh my God, I cannot run for a bus. Um, I need to do something about this. So I, I was wanting to get get back into doing some running. You know, it's just such a, it's such an accessible sport. And it's kind of, it was the thing that I was going to use to get fit. It was the most obvious thing. But I also didn't know that many people in London. So I joined a running club. And that was when, that was when I joined Clapham Chasers and just got hooked on it and I think that was kind of when I discovered like the social side of running and I guess my running journey running has been different things to me over the years it it started out as a way to a way to just get fit and then it became a real social thing and through Clapham Chasers it were it was a huge um a, a real social element and that was more why I went over the fitness to be honest so it kind of transitioned into into just such a fun way to to meet people and to run with people and and to enjoy the the social life through it um 
And it was only really when COVID hit and sorry to take a step back when I when I was in London and, and running with Chasers, I was working as a corporate lawyer um, and working really long hours in the city. And to be honest, most of my running was just to and from the office. Like the weekday sessions with Chasers were pretty much a no go because I was working late and then I'd make the odd one when I didn't have deals on and then the weekend sessions, but it was very unstructured training. Um, you know, I'll go through a, a couple of weeks of being able to make the sessions and I'll go four weeks of just jogging. Um, and I wasn't particularly chasing times really. Um, you know, I'd, I'd do half marathons and 10 Ks and stuff, but I wasn't really, didn't have any huge ambitions. And then when lockdown hit, I had I was made redundant from my job and had three months garden leave and that was kind of the turning point for me that led into my pro career it was a time when I had three months and I essentially needed a really good lockdown project to keep keep me busy so um I originally signed up for a half Ironman and thought you know right I'm going to use this three months to train like a pro triathlete not that I really knew what that looked like but I was like just go hell for leather at it and see what happens and then of course pools closed and everything and I kind of gradually just got funneled into just running so much and I had all day to train um and I loved it it was it was awesome it was such a I think it was a, a real break from the corporate grind that I'd been in and although I love my job it was I was kind of getting a bit burnt out by it at the time so it kind of came at a really good time for me. Um, and it just took off. Like it was a real whirlwind journey from then. I saw really quick progression um, and just got hooked on it. And I kind of just found myself like catapulted into this elite running world. Um, didn't really know how I'd ended up there, but just went with it. And then, yeah, just over a year later, I was, I was signed by Puma and... Um, at the world championship so it really was you know from lockdown it was like such a whirlwind journey and kind of hard to keep up with it all but it was it, it was definitely a fun one and you mentioned the corporate life you're getting a little bit burned out by it. are there any elements of it you miss is there anything you know maybe i don't know how specific you can go but are there anything is there anything about that old rose or that old life if you like that you think sometimes on those dark nights when you've got to go and run crazy miles do you go do you know what I miss that you know what I actually I love what I do now so much and I think having having had that old life even even now I still consider running a hobby and that's what gets me through the dark nights you know when you think like oh it's grim outside I'm like I still get to do this and get paid for it it's just nuts and I I definitely still have that like I guess I might still be in the honeymoon phase of it um but I love what I do now and I I wouldn't change it for the world but I did love um working with people all the time in my old job and being part of a team and I guess like using my brain on a on a daily basis so I think I I started to really miss that um but then I started my own podcast and now I feel like that's definitely filled that void. Um, I get to, you know, speak to amazing people all the time, use my brain on it, learning oh, so thanks. much. <laughs> and it's just, it's such a, I mean, I'm sure you can totally relate. It's such a fun thing to do. So it's de that's definitely kind of filled that void and it's, it's, it's a great balance now. So Rose, in terms of, if you was to put a number on it, as you mentioned about getting into running, uh, so would, it, would it have been pre-lockdown, pre pre-pandemic? So how many years would you say that you've been a runner? Um, I mean, I guess as soon as you start running, you're a runner. But I think when I moved true, to true, London in, when was it, 2015, and joined Chasers, I guess that's when I had a bit more consistency and got into it for a significant amount of time more than you know a couple of weeks before giving up and in those earlier years 
um, when you first got into the sport? Were there any significant moments? Were there any challenges that you faced, you know, whether big or small, that you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, I think injury was a big one. I just because I like had a very unstructured schedule and late nights, you know, my recovery must have been terrible. And I used, I did used to use running a lot of the time, you know, I'd be working till like 2am and then I would run into the office to like make sure I was awake and it, I just needed that to start my day. I was like, I cannot just go to bed, get the tube in, go to the office, go again. And then I'd use running as like the outlet, but almost at the worst possible time because my body was already broken <laughs> and I was so tired and then I'd just go and train hard. So I think... And of course, I didn't fit in any of the extras, no strength and conditioning, no um, rehab, physio, anything. So I guess the injuries were the hard part. And it was it was difficult from a, you know, from a training perspective, but also a mental perspective, because I did use running so much as like something to de-stress. And it was like such a big part of my enjoyment in life then. So I think, yeah. Injuries is is the biggest part, I'm sure, with a lot of runners. It's probably the one. Now, looking at your marathon progression, Rose, it's been relatively an upward trajectory, um, and we're gonna we're gonna sort of dissect some of these races uh, shortly. But looking at where you are now, you're a two twenty three marathon runner now, like world class. First part of the question: Does it feel strange hearing that that? someone refers to you as a world-class athlete is that is that still something where you look like what yeah totally it sounds crazy (laughs) I still can't believe it (laughs) and the second part of that question is you were talking a lot about uh some of the things you used to to do in terms of like your recovery wasn't great and you were you know dying all over the the place for, for your for your work schedule do you look back now and I don't know how long that sort of chaotic schedule went on for through your progression but do you look back and think how the bloody hell did I do it considering now I've got physio I've got strength and conditioning I'm like a pro athlete I can take naps I can do all of these things is there any time you think I don't know how I managed that yeah definitely and there was there was I think the hardest part and I'm sure a lot of pros or you know people who are kind of on the border go through this stage the hardest part is when it was actually post-covid when I was yeah, I'd run 231 and, you know, I was, I was like at the elite level. And so training way more than I ever had done. But I went back to full-time work and that was exhausting. And I went back to it. I got a new job that wasn't so intense. And actually the, the law firm were like super understanding and so supportive. But, you know, you're still working a full-time job in law and you still got clients. So... It was really exhausting and just, you know, it'd be up at six, train, go to work, train, sleep. And then you get to the weekend and you're like, I want to see friends, but I've just got nothing left. Um, So looking, I think looking back at that time, it was hard. And I'm like, I don't know how I used to do that. But you just kind of do, you know, you make it work. And I think when you're in it, you know, at the time it was exhausting, but I didn't think, oh, I can't do this. You just do it and crack on. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people now do that and they do just crack through it and it's it's impressive. I think a lot of people and a lot of listeners will be able to relate to that because, you know, thousands and thousands of runners, especially in the UK, are are working all hours. And then somehow, I think some of the athletes I've coached over the years doing sessions, at big marathon sessions at 5am in the dark. And I think... I don't know how you even do that mentally rather than physically, just, just having the, the, the strength to, to pull yourself out of the bed and when it's dark and crack on, it, it's pretty pretty inspirational really. But you're now the flip side. You're now in a in a really privileged position, albeit you've earned that position. You're now a professional athlete where um, you have not just more resources, you have support, uh, you probably have more time. Um, but for our, for our listeners that aren't professional runners, Talk us through how it all happens to the point when you sign a contract. So, um, you know, with, with, with the pros that we get on here, I like to. I like, I'm probably being a bit nosy, but I like to ask questions that maybe they don't get asked so much. So, what does it mean when you sign a pro contract? What does it look like? What does it sound like? 
to be honest, I think my journey was not exactly the standard procedure, but it was, it just happened. So it, it was, it was a pretty quick trajectory for me. So I ran Seville Marathon um, in, it must have been 20, was it last? No, 20, 21, 22. Um, February 2022. That's it, yeah. Uh, so, that was that was when I ran two twenty seven, and pretty much. And at the time, I was I was still working in law, um, and pretty much straight after that, Puma approached me. <laughs> they actually messaged me on Instagram, and it, <laughs> it pretty much <laughs> happened from there. So it was quite a quick process. Um, I had I was in in discussions with Nike as well. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, with, with anything like this, so much of it is luck and timing. And I just happened to run a fast marathon at a time when Puma were expanding their road running team, like Nike were looking for new athletes too. And I was in such a fortunate position and it's definitely not lost on me that it was like incredibly lucky. Um, and lots of people run, you know, at that level and don't, get picked up by sponsors so I was very fortunate to kind of have that position and at a time when I was still um I was still working so I never actually had like that gap of struggling through not earning or anything like that I could literally walk into this pro contract um and then I quit my job so it was it was pretty plain sailing and yeah, I feel like incredibly fortunate that it just landed like that. Um, but it was, yeah, that was, I signed with Puma in, I think it was March, March time. So pretty quick after Seville and then quit my job as a lawyer. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> Still going strong a year later. So, so what's one of the things that, um what's one of the things you weren't expecting from being a pro whether it be a feeling something physical what is it that you sometimes wake up and you go I just I didn't know that that wasn't in the manual um I think I mean I've never quite adjusted to being able to like rest and it's the hardest bit I mean I still can't nap in the day and I think just being having to be a bit more strict on recovery is the thing that I find most difficult, which sounds weird because you think, you know, marathon training, you're tired and want to recover. But I just from kind of years of like being busy all the time, having, I always want to fill my day. And actually sometimes you, it's best not to do that if you want to, if you want to run your best and save yourself sessions. But I think just, almost finding that balance that is right for you um, is more difficult. And of course, I went from like having such a structured life when a lot of my day was on someone else's timetable and, you know, I had a, I had a job to do. Now I have to like find my own work around that. So, you know, now it's the podcast, but I've definitely had to adjust to, you know, making sure my schedule is right for me and, making my own timetable and that is a bit of adjustment I guess it's kind of like going from working in a business to starting your own business and it, with that comes the, the challenge of like managing your time well well I guess now you know kind of overnight you sign, sign a contract with Puma and you're now the business you are Rose Harvey is the business and with that comes commercial responsibility, signing with a brand like Puma, where they're expanding, they've got this, that, and another going on, and they want to invest, they're investing money into you, they're investing resources into you as an athlete. Your, your sole responsibility is, I just want to train hard, race fast, and be the best athlete I can. But has there been any um, any new challenges commercially from, from signing a professional contract that, that you weren't quite expecting, or has that been quite quite easy going with, with a brand like Puma? I mean, honestly, Puma are, are brilliant. They're so understanding and it's they're they're great to work with they're such a fun brand everyone is like so supportive and so easy to work with um but I actually love all the all the extroverts that you can get involved with and I 
definitely like put my hand up for things. Um, I like to get involved with as much as I can that, you know, around training and obviously like in the run up to a major marathon, you don't do as much, but after when I can, I love to get involved with as much, as much other stuff as I can with, with humor. It's, um, it's definitely like an element. Not everyone likes it, but I really like doing all the photo shoots and appearances and you get, they've got a run club that I'm going to tomorrow. Um, and all of that stuff is just, yeah, it brings a whole different dimension to being a pro runner, but I really enjoy it. No, that's really, that's really good to hear because I think that we, we speak to a lot of pro runners on this channel and, uh, I try and, I try and share stories with pro runners because they're more than just what you see on the TV. They're more than just a race. Like I think it's cool when a brand gives their athletes opportunities to connect with communities. And like you say, just, just have other stuff to do that if you weren't doing them, all you would be doing would be literally training and racing. So that's really good that sort of Puma give you that, that, that opportunity to, to do that. So that's really awesome. So I just want to take it back a few steps. Your debut marathon was in Cheshire marathon. You ran two hours, 31 minutes, 14 seconds, according to my records. What were some of the things that you realized from that experience that you weren't quite prepared for? Um, now, obviously, we're in a world of social media where it's like top five tips to, uh, to, to, to put your clothes on in the morning. But what were the things that you finished and you were like, bloody hell, I was not expecting that? Um, I think the biggest one, and this is going to sound so rookie, but to be honest, I was really rookie, um, was race day nutrition, which I did not practice at all, but going into the race. And <laughs> yes, we love these stories. <laughs> and honestly, like now I look back, I'm like, why did no one tell me? But um, I didn't practice it. And then I decided it'd be a good idea to, um, I just heard of Morton and someone had been like, Morton's amazing. You know, it's going to give you this extra boost. And I was like, I need an extra boost. Let's go for it. <laughs> I only took caffeine gels. So that was like the only thing. Oh I had. my god! Oh my god! And I, I don't think I'd ever had like caffeine gel. I'd never had Morton. So I started taking these caffeine gels every every five k because that's what you know I thought was the right thing to do. And I literally managed like two and a half of them, and I was so nearly sick. And then um, I was like, okay, this is not working for me. I felt terrible, and I was getting the shakes. It was just awful. And then I grabbed, they did have some gels out on the table and I grabbed this gel and I just remember it was like banana flavored and it just went from like a bad situation to even worse. And I was like, this is a total disaster. So after that, I was like, right, note to self, sort out your race day nutrition. So I basically did, I'd say half of Cheshire Marathon, I felt very sick and half of it, I was just very under fueled. <laughs> Blimey, that is uh, that's like stories from hell, isn't it? Like the the, the complete opposite of what we're, we're told to do. But I suppose that was one of the things that you could you could you could improve for the next marathon um, when you went onto the streets of London. So October twenty twenty one, you go to London, you run slightly faster, two hours twenty nine forty five. Was there, and you're still working in law at the time. Was there a big change in, I'm sure, not just your nutrition practice, but training itself? Or did you take a lot of the fundamentals from Cheshire straight into London and just fine tweak things? Yeah, I don't think there are any massive changes, to be honest, um, in the run up to London. I think just, you know, having a bit more training under my belt and um, I guess also being in a major probably helps of it um you know you've got like a good group you've got the atmosphere and Cheshire Elite Marathon was of course in, in the well still in the throes of lockdown so they called it an, an elite marathon which I think was probably a bit of a stretch but um it was a very small event and you know it was just this lapped course around the countryside with no spectators so London was did feel like an entirely different event and a completely different kind of atmosphere and I I think that definitely contributed to to running faster there but yeah I guess the main thing was just another marathon block each time you learn you learn a bit more and you get a bit better yeah I think that's great advice you do having that not just the race in your legs but all the training and uh 
no doubt your nutrition was was on point compared to Cheshire. And then you get, go on a bit of a run. So we've got April 2021, debut marathon. Later in the year, another marathon in London. Then slightly quick turnaround for February. You go to a fast course in Seville. And I remember there was a lot of hype around this race because it was like, you know, rumoured to be a super fast course. And you run 227.17, sign the pro contract with, with Puma, and then you head out to World Champs in Eugene. Talk us through what it felt when you got the call to say, Rose, you're not just a pro athlete, that you're also going to compete for Great Britain. Yeah, I mean, that was just, like, I still remember it so clearly. And I was actually out on a run at the time because straight after, um, it was straight after Seville, I thought I was going to have to run Manchester Marathon because that was the trial for the Commonwealth Games. And, you know, I hadn't even considered, like, I might be in the running for Wales. I was like, Commonwealth Games, like, I, I stand a good shot at that. Um, stand a good chance at that. So let's go for it. But I had to run Manchester Marathon. Like, they wouldn't take my Seville time. So I was going to have to have this brutal turnaround to Manchester, which was only, it was, like, end of March. I think it was about three or four weeks later. And so I was out dragging myself out for one of my first runs after Seville. And then, yeah, I got the call. And I just remember I was just, I was looking on, I, I think I cried. I was just so happy and I, I could not believe it. Absolutely couldn't believe it. It seemed so kind of just, you know, something that doesn't happen to you. Um, but it was an awesome experience as well. It was really one of those times where I just had to kind of pinch myself every day that I was there. Um it was it was really really unforgettable the race itself in eugene i genuinely can't actually remember what happened i just remember one element about the women's race when i was tracking it and i just remember the pace being suicidally fast for a lot of runners talk us through what happened what your experience was during that race so i actually so the i didn't feel unwell before the race, but I did, I woke up on the race, on race day and I was like, oh, I've got a bit of a, bit of a sore throat. Um, but you just, you know, it was a really early start. There was, I, I don't think we had aircon, but we have fans in the room and it was hot. And I was like, oh, you know, you just don't think about it on race day. And then I got, the pace actually was, was fine. I was with a good group who, um, it, it felt like a very kind of comfortable pace. I think we were going around like 220, 226, 227. So it felt very manageable. But at about, um, must have been just before halfway, I started getting terrible cramp in both my legs. And that's like something I've never had in training before. I mean, not, you know, I, I don't think I've ever had cramp and certainly not like that. Um, so, and I knew, you know, I knew I was hydrated and everything I'd been having, taking on, taking on bottles. So I kind of tried to run through it, but it just got worse and worse. And then, um, I ran with it for about 10 K and literally like the next thing I knew it was getting really bad, but the next thing I knew, like I was just on the floor and I could, I, I physically like couldn't move my legs. They were so cramped up um, and it was, you know, it was just such a heartbreaking moment because I'd worked so hard for it and it was such a, such an amazing thing to just be there, but it kind of felt like it was like such a dream slipping through my fingers. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was devastating, but long story short, I, end, I ended up going to um, the emergency department and I had rhabdo, which is like where your muscles break down so much that your kidneys kind of can't process the waste. So I had a not so fun day in, <laughs> in a hospital in Oregon um, and, then, and then found out I also had COVID for the race. So... It was, Crikey. I know, after like escaping it for, uh, yeah, pretty, I, th- I I did get COVID once during the actual height of the pandemic, but after being so careful about it and, you know, testing negative the whole time, I just got super unlucky. So that was pretty devastating. But I have to say that aside, like the whole experience 
apart from getting COVID and, and the bad race, was incredible. Did you um, did you struggle to come back from that? You know, not not necessarily the the fact that you know your marathon. I didn't run the marathon I wanted to run, but pulling out of a race like mentally was that was that difficult for you at any point, or was you was, did you kind of take it on the chin and just crack straight back on? I actually, it kind of fueled afar in a way. Um, I think afterwards, obviously, it it was it was pretty devastating and. It, certainly to like dnf on the world stages is not never what you want but i kind of think with these things you know you can either like let it beat you down or you can just get back up like get back on the horse and move on to the next thing and that's kind of all you can do especially in that kind of situation like there was literally nothing i could do about it and so i just had to focus on getting back um and that was I wasn't actually originally planning to do London in autumn that year but afterwards I was like I need a new focus like let's get back on the horse and see if I can see if I can do it and I didn't I don't think I actually got a place till quite last minute so I was like just see how training goes but hey if I can pull it together like give it a crack and that could be that would kind of turn around a, a bad summer to a good autumn so yeah, that's what I did. Ran London in October instead, and just aim for that. And British champ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was last year. Not about twenty twenty two. That so PB, <laughs> Puma contract, GB vest, and British champ. Do you take that? Yeah, I take that. It was a roller coaster, but it was a fun one. <laughs> so. We've basically covered all of your races to to the point of Chicago. Now, October 2022, you run the London Marathon, 227, British champion. Amazing. Great turnaround from from Eugene. You then don't run a marathon for a year up to Chicago, uh, which is almost like not like you. You know, I'm looking at the races that you've run, and it's like April 21, October 21, February 22, Eugene, London, bang, 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 bang. What was the sort of decision or thought process behind I'm going to sort of take a year off was it a case of right I'm going to really go to the drawing board knuckle down um and try and run a big one what talk us through that process yeah it was pretty much that I had I had done a lot of marathons back to back and especially coming from a place where you know I'd had such quick progression and such a hard and quick build up in training you know before I started training for Cheshire I was running like 30 35 miles a week and not doing the intense session so it was a huge change for my body and then just cracking out back-to-back marathons like it was hard and I did get some injuries in the run-up to London I actually I went into London pretty beat up um I also got hit by a car like 10 days before London, which did not help the situation at all. So unsurprisingly... Well, well, hang on, on. I'm going to stop you there. You got hit by a car 10 days before London. Yeah, yeah. And I literally, I couldn't run. I didn't run in the 10 days up to it. So I came out like... Was you on a run? Yeah, I was running and I was just on the the pavement and like a, a car like pulled out of the driveway. So it wasn't fast, you know, it wasn't... It could have been a hell of a lot worse, but um, I like properly bashed up my knee. Um, and <laughs> running oh, a marathon dear. on that is <laughs> doesn't end too well. So I did have to have like a proper break after London. Um, and it, it was amazing. It's incredible what your body can do. I literally couldn't run the day before. And then on race day morning, I was like, mm, I can jog. This is this is looking promising. <laughs> In the race, I I did notice it, but honestly, it was not that bad. Afterwards, I couldn't walk for a good week, but, you know, <laughs> I got through the marathon, so... You've done it now. <laughs> yeah, I pulled it together. Um, but, yeah, I think after all that, and, you know, it had been like a real roller coaster year, and I hadn't taken much time off. So, A, I needed a break, but B, I did want to... I would kind of go back to the drawing board with my training and I felt like each block had been kind of rushed and I hadn't had time to like work on the weaknesses so I wanted to take take a bit of time to actually just build up properly and 
work on like take it back to basics work on the things that I felt like I was weak at which is probably the it is the faster stuff um but like the higher the faster end of threshold to make marathon pace feel easier essentially so I actually did more of a track season uh like 10k block in spring um and the goal of that was to take down the intensity of the training for for a bit and just be able to kind of focus on you know leg turnover get some more gym work in get strong and then just come back and be able to put in like a long marathon block and be confident that like my body could cope with it and I wasn't going to get injured and I could I could really put in some good work um so that was the plan it it was it was hard not to race a marathon in in spring I definitely got FOMO but I'm so glad that I was just patient with it and and I guess trusted the process I think uh, a lot of listeners and a lot of runners can can take great um great things from that Rose because I think that it's so easy to get into a routine of running a marathon around March April time and then doing another one later on in September to November time and just going in that cycle and now we've got other marathons like Seville in February Valencia in December like sprinkling in like marathons within marathons now and with the shoes being able to help us recover and whatnot I see a lot of runners that could could take your advice and and go back to the drawing board and actually take the time look at the weaknesses maybe maybe you know work on some of them and then come out and, and and run a really strong marathon that they're properly prepared for this time round, you run a massive personal best it's a it's a breakthrough run we'll talk about that in a second but I just want to understand why Chicago what was the thinking behind that one <laughs> well Chicago was actually meant to be Berlin um and Here's a little insight into the pro world. It's actually surprisingly hard to get into marathons sometimes, um, which I did not know about. So that, so in answer to your earlier question about, you know, what, what surprised you, um, that's definitely one of them. I kind of was pretty blasé with it and assumed that, you know, I'd, as a pro runner, I'd come top 10 in London. Like, of course I would get a spot in Berlin. Apparently it doesn't work like that. So I left it really last minute. <laughs> and I actually, I did email them quite a while ago, but I hadn't heard anything. And I'd just kind of assume that, oh, well, you know, they'll get back to me and it'll be, it'll be fine. And um, it wasn't. So I didn't get a spot in Berlin um, and then had to make a pretty quick pivot plan. But thankfully, um, I did get a place in Chicago and it helps that my, my coach is based in the U S so he kind of leveraged some relationships and got me a place in in Chicago and got me drinks. So it thankfully worked out very well for me, but uh, yeah, it was, it was nearly not having a marathon in autumn. It's interesting because I, yeah, for, for a lot of us, we think, oh, pro runner, you get on the start line, it's it's easy. Yeah, you haven't got to enter like us mere mortals. You just get that all sorted and take care for you, taking taking care for you. But you know, that must be that must have been a little bit of stress from that because you know you're you're out there bashing miles and and, and training training for a two twenty three marathon, and it's like you don't even know what race you're doing yet. Do you know what I mean? Like at what point? At which point was it? Was it quite last minute? Yeah, I think it was about uh, yeah four or five weeks before I got confirmed for Chicago, so. It was pretty last minute and I did have a few moments of panic. I was like, am I going to have to do the Battersea Marathon, which would have been hell. <laughs> oh, that would have been uh, that would have been a spectacle seeing a 223 right there. <laughs> yeah, that, that, would, that awesome. would have not been so fun. <laughs> so you get on the start line and for anyone that isn't aware, you run two hours, 23 minutes, 21 seconds, you make the top 10, you finish ninth. And I just remember seeing, uh, there was Puma Vest everywhere. You had Molly, Molly Sardell and you coming down the, the home straight. It was, it was awesome to watch. You secure the Olympic qualifying time for Paris Olympics next year. And uh, according to my records, there's fast marathons going on left, right, centre at the moment. So this might not be 100% accurate, but it places you fifth fastest British female marathon runner of all time. Going into that race, I'm sure you would have spoken to your coach and, and had a goal in mind, but can you give us an insight into, yeah, what was the goal time on the start line? 
So I knew, I mean, I, I knew I was in like solid PB shape. Um, and the goal really was, it kind of depends on like how the pace groups go. But um, we were thinking if there's a pace group that goes at 224, that would be absolutely perfect. The pace group, I think, was on for like 225 pace. Um, so it'd be going half through halfway at 72.30. And so essentially the plan was to like go with that group because there's no point going off in front and trying to run a whole marathon by yourself. So the plan was to go with that group and then kind of see see if I could pick it up in the second half. Um, it actually worked out so in my favor um, in that the we went through halfway a little bit quicker. So I think we went through halfway at 72.06. And the pacer was Ben from, who runs for uh, NAZ Elite, NAZ Elite, um, was absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. and just like, an absolute metronome on the miles, uh, such kind of a calming influence. So, and we had a good group to run with. So the first half, um, we had, I don't know, there must've been kind of eight people in the group, um, went through at 7206. And then there was a good contingent to kind of start to pick it up, I think from around like 17 miles. And I just felt great. I felt great for the whole race and just kind of managed to, cranked down the times each mile and I was under really strict instructions not to go until mile 20 so I was I was pretty strict with myself and I stuck to the plan um but then at 10k to go I was like I I know I've got a lot left in the tank and so it was just like see what I can do and just go for it um I knew from my sessions I could finish strong and a lot of my sessions are kind of being geared towards that final 10k which helped me so much both physically and mentally just to be so prepared for you know when your legs are stuck tired still being able to really go for it and so I knew I could do that and my there are kind of a couple of key sessions where I'll finish like stronger than stronger than my target um so I think I like the last 10k of Chicago ended up being like 33 flat or something um but I just that that's very fast. <laughs> it was it was really yeah. I I just felt you know it was one of those days. I just felt great, and my legs had a um odds. It was good conditions for it, and it was just it was a kind of, I was kind of well set up with having a group, having a great pacer that just put me in such a strong position to to really go for it in the last bit, and then I kind of started chasing people down, which helps which helps doing catching people up. So it just kind of, it did fall into place that day. And you mentioned your coach is based in America. Who, first of all, who is, who is your coach? Um, Alistair and Amy Cragg. So they are, um, they're actually coaches for the Puma Elite team who are based in out in North Carolina. Um, both very good runners themselves. Amy's um, been to, oh, I think, two Olympics. Um and she's run 220, 221. So incredible marathoner herself. Um, been, you know, up on the world stage so much. So has so much experience. And yeah, I mean, same with Alistair, like just incredibly knowledgeable. Um, and they they coach the team who are kind of based from, I mean, they do everything from like 800 meters up to marathon. So a whole whole range. And what was it, you know, if you can give us some training insight that you did differently with, with that coaching setup this time around for, for a 223 compared to, you know, when you was running 227s in Seville and and, and, uh, and London? I think I mean, there are a couple of things that changed. My So I've, I started training with Amy and Alistair in the build up to London last year, but it was like a really short build and it, it was a bit like it was, it was very rushed. Um, and I was kind of coming back from trying to come back from Wells and then get back into it. So it was a bit like muddled together. Um, so it was really my first like proper block doing their training plan. Um, and before that I was training with a group. So 
my training was not like necessarily individualized to me. It was kind of for the whole group. Um, it was marathon specific, but yeah, I think this time it's just so different when you've got everything tailored to you as an athlete, you know, it's tailored to like each session. So I get, I only get my plan for, for that week. So each session is kind of based off what I've been doing for the last week, how I felt, how it went. So it is really, really individualized. Um, and that's made a huge difference to me. And I think the other thing is just consistency. Like it was the most consistent block. And honestly, I don't feel like I did anything that special. Um, I had some really great sessions, but I kind of was always battling this feeling of like, oh, am I doing enough? You know, am I doing enough intensity? I'd only do one in the actual kind of real peak of the marathon build-up, I'd do one big meet, midweek session that would be a longer tempo. When I say big, I mean like, you know, 10-ish miles of work. And then my run at the weekend would either be a long run or it would be a long run session. And going from previously, I did like so much more intensity. Uh, I'd do like three sessions in a long run a week, which was a lot for me. Um and so it definitely felt like I was doing a lot less, but everything was good. And it wasn't necessarily like A star star sessions. I wasn't destroying myself every week. I was feeling pretty fresh at the end of every week and going into every session with reasonably fresh legs. But I think just having that consistency and being able to crack out good, but not absolute killer sessions week on week on week just got me so strong and just yeah that that was kind of the magic in it really it was like not having the magic in it got the magic in it if that makes sense no makes perfect sense absolutely perfect sense I think that's great um it's great to hear that you know consistency and sort of b plus training paid off because we hear about it all the time about how important it is and saving the fireworks for race day which you certainly did in Chicago are you able to give us an example of a training week in preparation for your marathon so rough training week volume you know for uh just just so anyone that listening can take some inspiration yeah so my I guess my standard week would be um around like 95 to 100 miles in volume uh I'd take a rest day every other week but when I say rest day I normally like do a swim or something I'd it's more of an active rest day but an, a non-running or just a couple of miles and then I would do, Monday would be an easy day um, or a rest day. And then Tuesday was session day. So I'd do um, a, a, a like longer tempo. When I got to the back end of the marathon build, we switched it to Wednesday. So I'd just do two sessions. And then Friday, um, I'd do normally like a faster session. And again, like if once I got kind of into real marathon training sometimes would drop that or just literally turn it into like a few 200s just to get a bit of leg speed in there as well and then the weekend tended to be my like bigger marathon specific session so either it'd be a long run which actually this time I did something a bit different um so I did a few over distance runs so it'd be like 27 miles two hours 45 at steady pace and it's a great time to, you know, practice drinks on it, but it's also just gave me so much confidence because I knew I could do that time. I could do a marathon and, you know, doing that at like a decent pace. Um, obviously it was, it was a fair bit slower than marathon pace, but it wasn't easy running. And to go into the marathon, like knowing I'd bank quite a few of those was, was a big confidence boost. Um, so I'd either do that or a, marathon pace session so that'd be you know it would end up being about 24 25 miles but with some tempo in there as well so some easy running and some marathon pace tempo so it might be like four by four miles or uh three by six a couple of examples oh yeah those sessions 
I, uh, I got a text the other day from uh, Charlie Purdue. She said, do you want to jump in on a session on Friday? We're doing 4 by 5 k I'm like, girl, I'm training for the 1,500 metres. I don't know what planet you're living on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I'll do one rep. I'll do one. That, that's, 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 my, that's my max. But uh, now that's incredible. That's really, that's really good to hear. And from across the training week, what was the was it was the strength and conditioning in there as well? You know how what was the sort of coaching philosophy around the conditioning side of it? Because running ninety five to hundred miles a week, that's so much training in, in itself. How did you fit all of it in, if any? Yeah, I'm actually I do I do a fair bit of strength and conditioning. So I do two gym sessions a week. One would be heavier weights, and one would be still weights but lighter weights. And then I was doing at least one, but normally two more body weight strength and conditioning sessions as well. So, and you know, they're not, they're not, they don't have to, I don't think it really has to be long sessions to get the benefit, but a lot of those would be body weight, physio, mobility, all of that stuff, just to, just to keep everything strong and kind of real injury prevention focused movements really. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I never really spend any longer than like an hour in the gym or do anything massively heavy. But I do like to keep that in in the in the marathon build up, just a more injury prevention, really, and just to keep on top of everything. That's really good to hear. If you're listening, runners, do your strength work. Even Rose is doing it with hundred mile of running to do in the week as well. I'm not going to lie; it's not my favourite, so, but it's necessary. Oh no. I know sometimes it can just be a slog, but it's got to be done if you want to run. If you want to run your best, you've got to you've got to keep everything ticking over and keeping everything strong. So, the racing calendar, Rose. You've obviously come back off the, the back of Chicago. What is what is next for you? You've qualified. Well, you've got the qualifying time for for Paris, but is there anything in the immediate future that you've got planned in? It's a good question. I'm not actually sure, to be honest. I'm just taking a bit of kind of taking stock after Chicago, and. Um, spring, not ruling out a marathon, but kind of going to see like how I get back to training, how it goes. And I guess like what my position is when we get to end of the year and what, what the leaderboard's looking like and whether I'm going to have to go out and try and run a faster time. But obviously I'll race in spring. It might be a marathon or it might be, there's some really good half marathons, which actually I, I kind of want to do. Um, I've always wanted to do Houston half and there's like one in Japan that's fast. So there are some really cool options. Um, but yeah, just kind of got to sit back and see what happens and then, then make an assessment at the end of the year. But thankfully my training wouldn't be, you know, my, my training up to the end of the year will be pretty similar for both options. So at the moment it's just getting back into it and finding my legs again and seeing, seeing where, where we get to. So I'll pinch you in for a maybe for the next Surrey League cross country then. <laughs> Honestly, I am so bad at cross country. I'm not sure anyone want me on their team, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Belgrave Harriers won't, won't, won't turn their eyes up, Rose. So uh, if you fancy a run out, you know where to come knocking. <laughs> My training partner, Ben, is on such a mission to, he runs for Dulwich and literally all he wants is for me to do cross country and he did the entire block for Chicago with me he's like a total saint so I'm like okay maybe as you did all that with me I will, I'll repay you in doing a cross country for Dulwich but honestly I cannot run up a hill <laughs> we'll stay clear of certain marathons then Paris, I think. <laughs> yeah I'd have some work to do Okay, so let's just uh, get a little bit more uh, into the mindset side of things, Rose. I mean, that's something that's massive for running, but especially marathon training and marathon racing. From what you've learned within the, you know, your time in the sport, the corporate world and life itself, you would have gained so many skills along the way, no doubt made some mistakes along the way as well. But what are the biggest lessons that you've learned from your experiences that you could pass on to our listeners? I think the biggest one, honestly, is just have fun with it. Like you're not going to, marathon training is hard, like racing is hard and you've got to be able to just love it. 
And I honestly think that's the key. If you can go into a race and just be able to soak up the atmosphere and go around thinking like, God, how lucky am I to to be able to do this? You're going to have a good race and you're going to run your best. You know, you've got to be able to, like the demons will come. It's going to get to that stage where everything hurts and you get the devils on your shoulder. But I think if if you know why you're doing it and you're doing it because you just love it, it won't be an issue. Like you, you will get through it, but you've got to have that really strong, I guess, passion and, and why for it. That's great advice. I love that. Are you a fan of the sport, Rose? For example, you know, Diamond League's on on a Friday night. Would you sit in and watch it? Oh, definitely. I love it. I love all the track and field. Exactly. It's, yeah, every event and the track race is so exciting. And obviously I can kind of relate to like how it must feel out there but the track the field events too like my mind is blown every time I watch the pole vault I just do not understand (laughs) how a human body can do that (laughs) yeah us uh us distance runners we just go in one direction it's forward so I don't know how they (laughs) bloody hell I don't know how they do it no idea no idea okay so to finish this off rose because this has been an awesome chat we're just going to change the the topic up slightly now i'm going to put you in a position of the ceo of uk athletics now you come from a corporate world you might be able to imagine that you're sitting there as big boss (laughs) what would three things three things that you would do first within uk athletics and let's imagine that we don't have like unlimited money so what would be the first three things that you would do Mm. I think one would have to be the selection policy for the marathon, which I know is controversial. And I can kind of understand why why it is the way it is. But the US have a trial and I just feel like that's so much more clarity. And yes, mm. it does mean that, you know, inevitably you have to uh, like be fit for that day and avoid injury and everything. But at least everyone knows, you know, you've got to, You've got to, everyone knows what they've got to do. And that's also racing, you know, you've got to be fit for the day of the race. So I kind of like the US system, I have to say, but I understand it's not quite as as simple as that. So um, I would figure out a way to make a trial, I suppose. So that'd be one thing. And then I think the one other thing I do is, I guess, provide more coaching for coaches. I feel like a coach's role is so important and you know it can literally obviously you know from my own experience completely my I could not do what I do without my coach absolutely not but it's so easy to become a coach and there's kind of I I mean I don't know because I haven't done it but there doesn't seem to be huge amounts of support um and I think certainly in things in areas like um, female performance, it's kind of such an underserved area and there isn't much like specific training on kind of how female athletes train. So I think if coaches could have a whole system of support through UK athletics, that would be, that'd be awesome. I do think it would kind of progress athletics across the board so much. So that'd be one thing. Um, And then I've kind of said my other point that I thought of, but, the other thing would be just I guess more awareness around like the fact that women do train differently to men because I feel like in so many in so many groups and in the areas it's just you know you get the same training program for men and women and like we do train very differently and we do have different bodies so I would love to see more I guess more awareness of that yeah I really like I like all three of those. I love the American system. It's it's first past the post. It's so clear, concise. You can't argue with it. And I think that it doesn't allow room for argument, which is... And I think this is really consistent across the board with British selection, not just marathons. We're talking every single event, funding, um, coach selection. There is always an argument as soon as the selection comes out. And there's, there's never a time where the team gets announced or something gets announced and everyone's like... Yeah, that's kind of fine. We we're all we're all good with that. So I think that if we yeah, if that was if that was to change, that would be welcomed by by quite a few, I think. And then yeah, to give you some insight on the coaching side of things, I think that it's easy to to 
but I've done the badges and basically, yeah, as long as you've got a few hundred quid, I can't remember how much it all costs, but, you know, probably a grand all in and then four or five weekends of commitment, you can become a full-fledged top-level coach. Um, I would say that from being on the courses, I wouldn't say it's the fault of the people running them. Maybe, Maybe that's not right, but they're probably, you know, lack of funding, lack of resources, and they're just ultimately there to, to, to put on what they're given in terms of material. But from actually being on the courses, I can't agree with you more from a female athlete perspective, a safeguarding perspective as well, like, blimey. They similarly go into, they sort of cross over. Um, I was chatting to Steph Twelve this morning, actually, at the track about it. She, she works at a club as a welfare officer. She was just telling me about how much of a, a war zone it is trying to implement some element of welfare from coaches of how to communicate to different types of athletes of uh, different genders and age groups. It, it is, um, it, I mean, yeah, we could have a podcast on that alone, but I think they're they're really great suggestions, and uh, no, that's 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 really good to hear. Final question, Rose, before we hit you with the quickfire questions, which I didn't send you because we never do, because that's no fun. Outside of running, what are your passions slash hobbies? Um, well, I mean, running was my big hobby <laughs> before that became my job. But I don't know. I mean, it's going to sound very boring, but kind of all the usual things. Just in my free time, I suppose I catch up with friends. I have a spaniel, so love a good dog walk and a brunch. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of, I guess, boring hobbies outside running. It's fine. It's totally fine. Like, I think walking the dog and having a brunch is a, is a pretty good passion, ultimately, um, especially in this part of the world. So that's good. I love that. All right. So quick fire questions, Rose. What I want you to do is literally say the first thing on your mind and okay. don't be afraid of offending anyone. Now, Similar, similar sort of question to the one about being CEO, but if you had a magic wand, so slightly different now, what is one thing you change in athletics? Um, well, I guess if I had a magic wand, then significantly more funding. <laughs> yeah. Across the board. Simple. Love Just that. And... chuck loads of money at it. Okay. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate now. Okay, let's say you have loads of funding. What's the first area you invest in i think that gap as i was saying earlier like that transition before you get a contract is so difficult and slightly ironically i think that's also where there's no funding because certainly from my experience i mean i don't get british athletics funding because you need to be like medal potential in the olympics to get that funding so those people who are on that program are likely to have the biggest contracts as well. So it kind of, and you know, that probably for them, the the funding is actually like a drop in the ocean considering what their sponsors will pay. So I think the mm. funding structure, there is such a gap in it and it's such a hard time. And I just don't know how people make that transition unless they've got like family support or come from the corporate world and can kind of weather a bit of a dip in pay for a while. Um, so just to provide, I guess, try and give people a leg up and make that break into, into professional running. Okay. That's good. Next question. What's the best thing about working as a professional athlete? Um, I would say, oh, I'm torn between two because the people you meet and the places you get to go to, both of those things are awesome and yeah just meet you're literally surrounded by like-minded people all the time who have such interesting stories and backgrounds and you just get to go to some really cool places to train and race i always try and guess what someone's going to say to these questions and we get travel a lot to that one it's yeah i get to travel with all these cool places but the first time that's the first time someone's ever said being around like-minded people so that's very wholesome i really love that answer that's awesome what's the worst thing um oh the worst thing I don't know I mean 
I don't really think anything is that bad about being a professional athlete, but... I love my job. Yeah, I do love my job. Um, I mean, I guess, like, when a race doesn't go well, it kind of sucks and you, it does mean a lot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even that, like, I think even when I have a bad race, I'm like, well, I still get to do what I love, so <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> is there more pressure now you're pro to perform? Um, I think in some respects, yes, there is. But to be honest, the pressure, the most pressure is always going to be the pressure I put on myself. Like, realistically, I think, you know, you can get like so caught up in like, oh, if I don't perform, you know, I've got sponsors and everything. It's like no one actually cares as much as you do, to be honest. Um, You know, I am not saying that Puma don't care about me. Of course they do. But like no one's going to go and die in a ditch if I have a bad race and I'm always going to care about it like way more because it means so much to me on so many levels so I think like if you keep that in mind and you know know that whether I was pro or not I put a lot of pressure on myself because I want to do well but you know it's only running at the end of the day like I'm paid to get from A to B as quick as I can and just have fun in the process and do my best so I think yeah I don't necessarily feel like tons more pressure now is sponsored um but yeah love that okay final two quick fire questions what's a harsh truth the running world needs to hear um oh harsh truth I think that you don't need to, again, kind of going back to that, like what I've learned this block, you don't need to like smash every week to succeed. And there is no magic. Like there's no magic solution to training. That's very, very useful for a lot of runners. And finally, Rose, the round off this podcast episode, which has been fantastic, I must say. What is one thing that you would have loved to achieve in your life in 10 years time, whether it's running or not? I think the Olympics. That's the big Ooh, one. Well, we could take that off. Yeah, it's the big goal. It would be just, it would be the dream. Amazing. That's such a, that's such a great way to end. Rose, thank you so much for joining on the Tractor podcast today and giving us your time. Best of luck with that, uh, with that Olympic selection. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing you at the next Surrey League. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. It's been great to chat. Thank you for joining us this week for another episode of the Trackster podcast, where we talk all things running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. Big thank you to our guest, Rose Harvey, for her time on the show today. And if you've enjoyed today's listen, please give us a review and head over to our Instagram to keep up to date with everything that we're up to. I've been Lloyd, your host for the day. I'll catch you down the road for a run and a chat. But in the meantime, have a great week.